keep your Bibles open to that particular Bible reading. There's also an outline uh, that looks like this inside of your weekly news sheets that you were given as you came in. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we pray that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us this morning, that we would delight to come before you in prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a battle that goes on in my home every weekday morning. Uh, All we need to do each morning is to get out the front door. Breakfast eaten, clothes on, hair done, face washed, bags packed. You know the drill. It's, It's so simple in theory, isn't it? But we are almost constantly ambushed in our attempt to do that by all manner of distractions. One minute, it's the toys. The next minute, it's the colouring in pencils and the craft table. Then it's the books on the bookshelf. And then it's playing with the cute baby brother. Distractions leaping out from everywhere. Everywhere our kids seem to look. Come on, kids. Clean teeth, do hair, wash your faces. I hear myself saying while they try to build a fortress out of cushions from the couch. But then I walk from the room and I notice my phone on the table and I pick it up and I start scanning ABC online and before long I'm immersed in five tips for winter gardening and I'm the one who's running late for the day. Today in our Life of Faith series we're thinking about prayer and my hunch is that there has never been a harder time in history to live out the New Testament's exhortations to be faithful in prayer and to pray continually. Because we have never been so distracted or so distractible. Uh, With a phone like this, we carry the world in our pocket. With social media, we can catch up with what our friends are doing at any moment. There is the constant buzz of pings and notifications, new bits of gossip, new opinions... Shiny new things to entertain us until the next one comes along. And in that context, any kind of focused thought that goes beyond what's immediately in front of us, it becomes near impossible, doesn't it? And so prayer especially suffers. I mean, it was a struggle enough already. Humans have always been good at finding reasons not to pray. Does God really hear me, we wonder? Is he too busy and important to be bothered by my prayer? If God already knows what I'm going to ask, then why would I bother asking? Some of us find it hard because by nature we're doers. We just want to get things done with our hands, get into it rather than sitting there speaking. And then there's always been the laughter of the atheist, hasn't there? Look at you, just speaking to the air. As if that changes anything. So add to these old struggles, that explosion of distractions in our world today, and it's no wonder that most of us find prayer difficult. And I include myself in that. It's my hope, though, as we reflect on Luke chapter 11 this morning, that you'll leave here refreshed and newly motivated to be living in prayer. Uh, Though it's true that we can't totally eliminate all of those distractions, we can 
come to want to pray more than we want to check our social media profiles or watch TV. Certainly that's been the effect that this passage has had on me as I've reflected on it over the past week. Well, the first thing our passage brings to our attention is the special relationship between Jesus and his heavenly Father. Jesus has much to say about prayer in our passage. We'll get to that in a moment. But the situation that prompts this whole discussion about prayer uh, is outlined there from the start of verse 1, is that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, if you read through the Gospels, you'd pick up that prayer was a regular practice. This kind of prayer was a regular practice of Jesus. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, he writes that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Prayer was a rhythm in his life, day to day, hour to hour. Before appointing the apostles, he spent the night in prayer. Before eating, he prayed. At his baptism, at the Mount of Transfiguration, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the news of Lazarus' death, and so on. Now, you might hear about Jesus' prayer life there and think, wow, what an example Jesus is to us in constant prayer. Just like Jesus, I'm going to get up early to pray every morning. Just like Jesus prayed constantly, I'm going to pray constantly. Now, some of us might think that. But others of us probably see Jesus doing this and your feeling is one of being overwhelmed, isn't it? I'm not... I'm just not a disciplined person like that, you think. I could never just flick the switch and pray constantly like Jesus. Now, the truth is, whichever of these camps are in, if you're only looking at Jesus here as an example of disciplined prayer, you're going to end up overwhelmed, whichever of those camps you're in. See, what we're really meant to see in these moments is not just Jesus as a model of prayer, but the nature of Jesus' relationship with God, his heavenly Father. So the reason Jesus was constant in prayer was because he had always had an intimate relationship with God the Father. Since eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, together with the Holy Spirit, had been in loving communion with one another. The Son was in closest relationship with the Father, John 1.18 says. Or, or in the older translations, he was in the bosom of the Father. And so Jesus' prayers on earth, they're just a continuation of that intimate relationship. And the significance of that is that Jesus' constant prayerfulness was not just the result of some kind of extraordinary self-discipline. No, it was a natural part of his special relationship that he had with his heavenly father. And so, when the disciples then asked Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus begins by first of all giving them a word. And that word, it's there in verse 2, is father. That's the first thing he gives to them, the word father. And what he's doing here is inviting the disciples into that special relationship that he as the son has always enjoyed with God the Father. Now whatever your relationship 
has been like with your earthly father, the Bible speaks of God as being, when the Bible speaks of God as being your father, it's a picture of him as your perfect, loving provider and protector. In Hosea chapter 11, God is pictured there as Israel's father, teaching them to walk, taking them by the arms, leading them with cords of kindness, lifting, the little ch- lifting them like little children to his cheek, bending down to feed them. But the people of Israel, they would rarely presume to address him as father, so intimately in prayer. No, that is the privilege of Christians. In Romans 8, it speaks of how Christians are given the spirit of Jesus. And, and Romans 8 calls it the spirit of sonship. And so we can know God. We can speak to him as our dad. And you might have seen those, uh, that famous series of photos of JFK's kids playing under the desk, the presidential desk there in the Oval Office in the White House. While all the presidential advisers and foreign dignitaries and members of Congress, when they came into the Oval Office, they would stand until they were told to sit. They would wait to speak. They would wait until spoken to before they would speak. They would address him with the title Mr. President. And they would speak to him with the reverence that was due to the most powerful man in the world. But his kids, they were free to frolic and feel comfortable in his office, to enjoy his warm words to them, and to simply call him dad. Well, that's the privilege of a Christian. Yes, God is holy and mighty, sovereign and powerful over all things, but he wants us to know him as dad, to enjoy the intimacy of relationship that the son had always known with the Father and to share in their eternal conversation, to participate in that. So there's the key foundation of establishing a healthy prayer life, knowing God as your loving dad. Get that right and the discipline, relatively speaking, is a snack. But if you start with trying to be disciplined, well, it's likely things are always going to end up as a struggle if that's the, the approach from which you are taking things. But what is it exactly that we should say to God, our Father, in prayer? Well, specifically, what we see from this passage is that God wants us to ask him for things. God wants us to pray to him in all sorts of ways, but... But most of all, what we see in this passage is he wants to ask us to ask him for things. For he is a father who delights to hear the requests of his children. If you look again at the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, you'll notice that each line is a request. I wonder if you've ever noticed that about the Lord's Prayer before. A request for the hallowing of God's name, for the coming of his kingdom, a request for daily provisions, and so on. Uh, And then further on in the passage, Jesus tells the story of a man asking his friend to bring him some bread at midnight. And then beyond that story, Jesus next says, ask and it will be given to you. And finally, he concludes with the teaching, uh, concludes his teaching with the story of a son 
asking his father for various things. Uh, what's the point of all this? Well, God wants us to be asking him. Now, why might this be the case? Uh, especially when you think that for most parents, our goal is to have our kids mature to the point where they can take responsibility for themselves so that they no longer have to ask for things. That's what my goals as a parent. Um, so why does our Heavenly Father want us to ask? Well, it's because our asking is an expression of our dependence on Him. For the Christian to become more mature is not to become more self-reliant, but to become more God-reliant. It's to recognise the illusion that any of us are self-made or independent. No, we are made by Him and we depend on Him for every breath, every heartbeat. And so... When we ask him for things in prayer, it's that reality that we are giving voice to. As John Calvin famously said, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. See, faith is not just about intellectual assent to facts, but about fully depending on him to provide all that we need, both now and into the future. So God delights in our requests because it shows that we have truly understood this. And so the question for each of us then is, what does the state of our prayer life reveal about how much we really trust God? What does the state of our prayer life reveal about how much we really trust God? If you don't ask him, perhaps it's because you don't fully trust him in all things. Now, I'm not talking here, by the way, about your salvation uh, being in danger or anything like that. Even weak faith saves. But I am talking here about how fully have you grasped all that it is to live in joyful communion with him as father in the way that Jesus himself enjoyed and has invited us into. But maybe you're still not convinced Maybe you still have this nagging sense that, well, it seems a bit silly to depend on him and ask him for all things. It wouldn't be proper, would it, to ask him about small things? I'll just pray about the important stuff. Or maybe you think, well, surely he already knows what I need. You know, I don't think it would be right to ask him. Doesn't that kind of undermine his all-knowingness to ask him for things that he already knows that I need? Well, that's what Jesus' story about the midnight visit is designed to answer. It's the shameless audacity of the man that Jesus commends. His utter lack of sensitivity to any social conventions. He doesn't care that it might be a bit rude to wake up his neighbour and his family at midnight. All he wants to do is show proper hospitality to his visitor. And so he wants three loaves of bread. doesn't matter what the social cost is in doing that. And the point of all this is there is no polite social convention when it comes to asking God for things. Yes, he's running the universe. Yes, he already knows your needs. But here he is saying, don't hesitate. Just ask. Friends, there is nothing that should stop you from coming before your father and asking him in prayer, for he is the God who delights to have us ask him. Ultimately, you see, our God is the good 
gift giver. His generosity is at the heart of who he is. And so as we ask him for things, we are going to the very heart of what he loves to do and who he is. I want us to do a thought experiment just for a second. I want you to imagine in your heads, um, go back into eternity past. Go back in your heads, back before the creation of the world, before the creation of the universe, when all that exists is God himself. There he is in a mutual and eternal relationship of self-giving love. The Father for the Son and the Spirit. The Son for the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit for the Son and the Father. Perfect love. Perfect joy. Perfect contentment. And then God creates the universe with humans as his crowning achievement. Now, why did God create all this? Why did he create us, that loving God that was content, totally content in that loving communion within himself? Well, it wasn't because he was lonely. It wasn't because he needed some slaves to provide his needs for him. It had nothing to do with him being needy. No, it was all about the generous overflow of his love. That love that he had always enjoyed within himself from eternity past just flows out into the creation. He is a God whose nature is to generously and lovingly and lavishingly give. And so given that that's who he is, we ask. And given that that's who he is, how good are the gifts that he has to give to us, that we stand to receive? In our passage, Jesus points out that even earthly fathers in their sinfulness know how to give good gifts to their children. None of us would ever give a gift to our kid to harm them when they had asked for something good. Not a snake when asked for a fish. Not a scorpion when asked for an egg. Not rat poison when they asked for dinner. So how much more will God give us good gifts? And notice here too that Jesus specifically names some of these gifts, these good gifts. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will be given to those who ask God. And back in that prayer that Jesus taught, the things we are told to ask for, they are the things that that God is then going to give. Now the reason it's important to recognise what the good gifts are that God has actually promised to give us It's because that then helps us to pray the kinds of prayers that God wants us to pray, that he delights to hear us pray. And it helps us to depend on him for the things that he really wants us to depend on him for. All of which also helps us to make sense of so-called unanswered prayer. For the truth is, there is no unanswered prayer. God always hears our prayers and he always answers them. It's just that sometimes he answers with a no or a not yet. And what, but what we have here in our passage are a bunch of things that God will never say no to. When we ask him to meet our daily needs, he will ensure they are met. When we ask him to forgive our sins, he will ensure that our sins are forgiven. When we ask him to lead us away from temptation, which I take it is a request to be freed from the power of sin, he will free us. He'll give us his Holy Spirit, who unites us to Jesus, 
such that we can share in all the good blessings that Jesus has won for us. And when we pray that his name would be hallowed, set apart and exalted as holy, when we pray that his kingdom will come in all its fullness, he will say yes to that prayer too, day by day, as people become followers of Jesus. And then ultimately in the future when Jesus returns to judge and restore our world. And so when you pray, these are the things that God wants you to pray for. Ask for these things, these things that God wants to give. Pray for what he has promised. You often hear it said that prayer is just talking to God. You know, we're going to pray now, prayer is just talking to God. Well, that's true, but I want to add something to that. What this passage tells us is that prayer is talking to God in response to him first talking to us. Prayer is talking to God in response to him first talking to us. Well, let's draw some things together. The key thing, I think, for us to see here this morning is that it's when we fix our thoughts on our loving Heavenly Father and enjoy him as our Father that all of a sudden prayer, it's possible for prayer all of a sudden to become a desire and a joy. When, on the other hand, prayer itself is our focus, well, that's when we most struggle. Our private prayers become just a dry discipline. Our public prayers become just a performance. Now, my kids give little thought to how they speak to me or being disciplined in scheduling regular times when they can come to me in conversation. They just barrel up to me and open their mouths simply because I'm their dad. And we need to be the same with our Heavenly Father. And so what then, to conclude, what then might a praying life look like? Three things. Firstly, a praying life begins, I think, with being part of a praying community. A church, just like this one, where the members know God as their loving Heavenly Father, where every week we gather to, to hear from him and to respond to him in prayer. I notice that the Lord's Prayer is not an individual prayer. Give me each day, forgive me my sins. doesn't say that, does it? No, it's the prayer of all of God's sons and daughters together. Give us, forgive us. God wants us to be praying together. That's why when we all say, uh, when the person at the front prays, we all say amen together, isn't it? When that person at the front is praying, when Pam prayed before, she was praying on our behalf. We are all actually praying at that moment. Beyond being part of a prayerful community then, we should also, secondly, be setting aside private time for prayer. Do you remember how our passage began with Jesus praying privately? The more you grasp how good it is to have God as your Father the more you will want to do this. It's not a dry duty when you find joy in his presence, any more than it's a dry duty for a Beatles fan to go to a Paul McCartney concert. Yes, many of us are busy, but what greater priority could there be than for those, for those who claim God as their father than to spend time before him privately in prayer each day? 
Now, my experience is this does need some planning. You don't just drift into a healthy rhythm of private daily prayer. The practice of many is to make this the first thing they do each morning when they get up. And for me, I've certainly found that a great help in becoming regular in this. For those of you who are married with young kids, you'll need to work out together how you can help each other to do this as well. Husbands, can I say to you, I think it's a great gift that you can give your wives to mind the kids for 20 minutes each morning so that she can spend some time reading the Bible and in private prayer. And I've also included there as well in your weekly new sheet, um, an A5 sheet. Did you get one of these? Just grab your new sheet. You got these as you came in. Great. Some of you are waving them at me. Um, A small sheet which I hope will be helpful to you. You'll be able to find a little bit of structure in your private prayers if that's um, something perhaps you struggle with. I found it very helpful to have a system like this. Uh, You might already have one. So the way it works is just gives you prompters for things to pray for daily and then you can fill in um, things to pray on different days of the week. It's got Monday to Friday there. You might want to add um, Saturday and Sunday um, there as well. But if you don't have a system like this, well, why not take it home, fill it out and use it uh, when it's time to pray. We made it the size that it could slip um, just into your Bible so it's there with you um, each morning as you pray. Finally, then, it's what you do in this private daily prayer time that will stand you in good stead for the rest of the day. And this is the third aspect of what a praying life looks like. Really, that private prayer time each day is just a realignment and a rehearsal for the whole day spent prayerfully in God's presence. A day where, when things go well, we thank God for, for them. When you notice good and beautiful things, you praise him for them. When something tough comes up, tough comes up, you ask him for strength and wisdom and so on. Just a sentence here or there. Father, give me wisdom for this conversation. Oh, Father, I praise you for this beautiful sunshine and so on. That's what you see of Jesus and it's what I think the New Testament means when it says pray continually. So there's the three. Well, amidst the distractions of life, um, prayer may be a struggle. For many of us, it may be a struggle. But through Jesus and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have God as our Father, our Father who loves us and delights to have us come before him and ask him big things in prayer. Well, how else uh, could we finish? than by spending some time right now in prayer. So please uh, bow your heads and join me as I lead us in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, what a privilege it is to know you and call you our Father. We are so thankful for what Jesus has done in his death and in the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we can call you our Dad. What a privilege and a joy. Father, please remind us afresh of that great truth day by day that we would be a praying people, that we would depend on you in our requests. Father, please help us as a community to be a praying community. Please help us to be able to put aside some time regularly day by day that we can come before you privately and in a concentrated way. And please help us 
springing out of both of those things to live in constant prayer before you each day. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.